0: Hi, it's Dan Toombs here from fastfirms.com and very soon I'm launching the Future Proof Your Law Firm podcast. What is it all about? Well, as lawyers, we know our industry is undergoing a tectonic shift of which new business models, changing consumer habits and technology are all converging at once. The net result is that for many law firms, they're confused and not sure what to do or how to respond to this shift. Well, The Future Proof Your Law Firm podcast will help you. Sure, as many of you would be aware from my law firm marketing podcast that I ran right here for a number of years, for the last 10 years I've been working with law firms at the intersection of law, technology and marketing from those publicly listed to small regional practices in Australia and the United States. I even spent three years working on mass campaigns with Erin Brockovich globally. My company Fast Firms is a leading provider of comprehensive technology and marketing solutions. You name it, we do it. Be that as it may, while you're waiting for the new release, I've pulled together my favorite podcast episodes from the Law Firm Marketing Podcast archives over the last five years. And you may be surprised, as I was in curating this collection, that the guests and the advice that they share is as still as relevant as ever. Steve Simpson is an organisational culture expert. His groundbreaking research on culture, and in particular, its impact upon performance in organisations, has seen Steve work with literally hundreds of organisations, from small to very, very large. In this podcast, we delve deep into the very things that are probably holding your firm back from becoming exceptional. Steve Simpson, thanks for joining me on the Law Firm Marketing Masters uh, series. It's great to have you with us. Steve, tell us a little bit about your business, um, particularly what it does, not only in Australia, but but of course uh, right throughout the whole world.
1: Uh, Thanks, Dan. It's good to to be with you. Um, We work with organisations to help them understand their workplace culture and the impact that workplace culture has on uh, the performance of an organisation. And um, we help in two respects. One is to help them understand what their current culture is like and secondly to help them put in place some improvements to uh, improve performance.
0: Culture is so pivotal in relation to performance isn't it I mean they're they're sort of intrinsically linked aren't they?
1: Absolutely and, and most people would agree with that but it seems to me that sometimes there's a bit of lip service paid to the notion of workplace culture or sometimes it's referred to as corporate culture or organizational culture and I think um, it, it's almost it's almost I think that sometimes it's it's the usage is too common yeah uh, so I, I think there's value in deeply thinking about the workplace culture and um, exploring how we can I think sometimes workplace cultures happen by chance or by luck and I think there's huge value in getting strategic about our culture to ensure that our culture is helping us, not hindering us, to achieve strategic goals.
0: Yes. Now, now you do this under the under the guise of uh, the UGRs, which is which of course is the unwritten ground rules. And, and I've I've heard you speak at numerous conferences and and heard of the work that you've done with uh, many organisations, which has just been so extraordinary. Let's just touch a moment on the UGRs. What, what is a UGR?
1: See, I think there's a bit of a paradox in that while the notion or the term of workplace culture is in common usage, Mm. uh, there's a paradox in that few people really understand workplace culture in simple and practical terms. Mm. And I think that's, and by the way, if you look at a definition of uh, corporate culture, I think it'll back up that proposition because the definitions, if they are provided, Mm. uh, inevitably are very complex and and just have an impractical feel to it. So it's on that basis that I created the concept of UGRs, I written the Grand Rules, and I define them as people's perceptions of this is the way we do things around here. And examples include things like around here at our meetings, it isn't worth complaining because we know nothing will get done. Um, around here, the only time anyone gets spoken to by the boss is when something is wrong, and so on. Yeah. Now, the remarkable thing about UGRs is that they drive people's behaviour yet they are seldom talked about openly. And and I think that's remarkable. Absolutely. it's, It's the UGRs in a firm that actually constitute its culture. Yep, yep.
0: Okay, we've got that down. So let's talk about your 10 tips on creating... Uh, an exceptional culture uh, in, in any professional services firm, be it a law firm or an accounting firm. Now, number one is to understand the importance of culture in terms of its impact on people's performance, which we sort of touched on. Let's just talk a little bit more about that. What, what do you mean there, Steve?
1: Um, this was a great challenge for me, Dan. I'm glad you asked me to get the ten tips out because it was um, it was a useful process for me, and I, I think that's that's and, and these are sort of in, in a sequential order. The, the ten tips I'm going to I'm going to share. Yeah. But number one is I think for people to truly try and kind of understand um, workplace culture and to work against just paying the term lip service. Yeah. So for people to truly get the fact that culture does impact the performance of, of people in a firm. So, for example, if we run with my UGRs example, mm. if, um, if there is an unwritten grand rule that says around here uh, that bosses aren't interested in anyone's ideas, then at the next meeting, uh, when a boss says, any ideas on how we can improve this? Well, the UGR is, um, is going to be leading people to stay quiet. Yeah. so it impacts substantially on people's performance and um, there's another term that I like it's discretionary effort mm. often it's the UGRs and the culture that reduce or maybe even eliminate people's discretionary effort mm. and I've seen many firms where people are doing just what's required
2: mm.
1: uh, not stackable mm. but uh, nothing to celebrate either in terms of people's genuine discretionary contribution
0: yeah okay um, the thing that strikes me, and it was sort of evident with a, a law firm that I was working with this morning, uh, about how culture, all these UGRs permeate every aspect of the organisation. So with this firm this morning, we were talking about uh, a new online web strategy, um, which is a significant departure from where the, what the firm is doing at the moment. And I just couldn't believe um, some of the sort of uh, the deeply embedded culture around uh, risk aversion that just um, emanated from from this discussion. So it, it, the culture does strike from multiple places, doesn't it?
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, U- UTRs are a function of people being together. Yeah. So UGRs exist in families, they exist in sporting teams, in churches, and of course in the workplace. Mm. And they are people's perceptions of this is the way we do things mm-hmm. around here. Mm. So and I might add, often the prevailing UGRs, and therefore the prevailing culture, that the prevailing UGRs are often well justified.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, it might have been sometime in the past that yeah. a, a person that was rebuked for taking a risk or... Um, taking some initiative. Mm. Well, that's quickly learned and picked up by other people and that subsequently drives their behaviour. Mm. Um, so it might have even been a previous leader or a previous manager mm. in the firm and the UTRs can cross leaders. One can go, another takes their place, but the UGRs remain, if you know what I mean. I do. So they're enormously powerful and uh, well worth considering in any firm which leads us to
0: your next point, which is learn about UGRs as a way to understand and improve your culture.
1: Yeah, This this tip is a bit self-serving, so I must apologise for that, Dan, but um, I I just think that the concept of UGRs... Well, no, I I know, because people tell me this, that the concept of UGRs is a simple yet powerful way that helps people truly understand the importance of their culture And I think there's some value and and there's plenty of free information at the UGR's website. Um, I I just think um, it helps people truly get the fact that their culture may be hurting them. The reverse also applies, by the way, Dan. I I can guarantee that if a firm is functioning really well, positively, efficiently, they will be characterized by UGRs that are positive. Uh, But our work tells us that Often there are counterproductive UGRs Mm. and often there are many counterproductive UGRs that are substantially inhibiting the potential performance of uh, people across the board. Mm -hmm.
0: Steve, uh, undoubtedly this is true, but I I would assume that most CEOs or most, most managing partners would be incredibly surprised about some of the UGRs that have taken hold in their firms. That's
1: a really good point, Dan, in that, uh, we've done a lot of research into UTRs, and mm. almost without exception, when we look at the differences in responses in terms of what people perceive the current UTRs to be, there is almost inevitably mm. vast differences between the perceptions of senior people versus middle managers versus non managers. Mm. And it's inevitable that senior people see their culture more positively than others. Mm. Um, and, and often there's good reasons for this, because often a well-intended senior person can be trying to get a grip of the current culture, but uh, people shield senior people, in many cases, from the real UGRs. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's often the case that yeah. senior people are quite surprised to learn about the culture that is actually in operation within their firm.
0: So the the place to start, uh, I'm assuming, is your tip three, which is uh, identifying the key culture attributes that you need in your firm to be truly successful, which I suppose um, most firms just leave it to chance. Culture just evolves. Uh, You don't actually drive it.
1: Um, We've developed, and I'm sorry if this sounds immodest, but um, we've developed what I think is a bit of a golden question, and I think should be asked within any strategic planning session within any firm, Mm. and I think really is asked. The question is, what are the key cultural attributes we need in place for us to be truly successful? Mm. What are the key cultural attributes we need in place for us to be truly successful? Mm. Now, that's all about getting senior people and by the way we can include other people in this process as well but at at the very least it's it's about getting senior people to picture the kind of culture that's necessary for the um, success of the firm. Mm. Now that's sort of maybe touched upon if if values statements are considered within a firm Mm. but I think when, when firms consider value statements it's often something that's out to the side and doesn't sort of underpin the performance of the organisation. In a sense, value statements are like ground rules by which we'd all like to apply.
0: They're a bit esoteric, aren't they? They're a
1: bit. of I think that's the risk with value statements. So I think with with the question I just shared, that has a much harder edge to it. Yeah. To say, well, let's not leave our culture to chance. Mm. Let's configure the kind of culture that is absolutely necessary. Mm. for us to be truly successful into the future. That's got a really hard edge to it. Mm. And uh, I think it's one that ought to be asked and seriously considered uh, in any firm.
0: Okay. Which leads us to number four, which is to find out what your current culture is like in terms of those key cultural attributes. So you're trying to do a bit of a match here.
1: Yes, look, if, um, to, to Australian listeners, I'd say we need to do a bit of a stock take. Yes. To our US listeners, i need to say we need to do a bit of an inventory
2: mm.
1: of what our current culture is like mm. against those key cultural attributes. And then here's where there's some sequentiality to the tips that I'm sharing. Because once the top five or six, and I think it should be limited to top five or six, key cultural attributes have been identified... I think it's incumbent then on the firm to find out what the current culture is like with respect to those key cultural attributes. Mm, Now, there's a number of ways we can do this, but um, through our UGRs language, we say let's do a UGRs stock take or a UGRs inventory. And um, so maybe if I give you an example, Dan, that would help. If a key cultural attribute um, for a firm's future success was people showing initiative, for example, and then what we can do is we can get people anonymously to complete the sentence to what we call a lead in sentence, and these should be linked to the key cultural attributes. So if initiative is a key cultural attribute, we get people to complete the sentence around here when you come up with a new idea.
0: Yeah, okay, gotcha. And
1: that would, that would furnish information about people's perceptions of, that, of the current UGRs with respect to showing initiative. So I'll give you another example. If a key cultural attribute was um, productive, positive working relationships among different work areas or departments, then a, a lead in sentence would be around here when it comes to dealing with other work areas. And so we need to find out what the current UDRs or what the current culture is like with respect to the key cultural attributes.
0: Steve, they're beautifully simplistic, aren't they? But they're so potent, those statements.
1: That's the power, Dan, yeah, I think. I agree. um That's the power. It just, it just provides such rich information. We've done UTR stock takes with many, many firms in different countries, and it's, it doesn't feel like a survey because no. you're not limited in terms of what you can um, respond with.
0: It's a working uh, language, isn't it? You know, the, the, the worker or, you know, or, the, or the solicitor or the lawyer, whoever it is, is able to put it in their own language, which is, which is tremendous.
1: I think that's part of the appeal, Dan. I really do. And um, there's, I also need to point out that often stuff that comes back is going to be uh, confronting. Yeah. <clears throat> But um, I think there's massive value in it. Well, I know there's massive
0: value in it. Steve, why would you stop at sort of, you know, the five key cultural attributes? Is there a risk that, you know, with too many that you uh, dilute um, the importance of the first five or, or what's, what's the rationale behind that?
1: Look, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm this, this psychologists who could tell me uh, who know more about this than me, but I think... The human brain can really only hold a limited number of mm. things in their head at one time. So I think we really need to keep the list concise yeah. and and not overdo this because we don't want to lose people from overdoing it. Mm. But the other thing is that if you if we pick the right attributes, I, I think sometimes we can overanalyse this sort of stuff because if 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 we pick roughly the top five or six key cultural attributes, mm and work on trying to improve those, there's going to be spillover into yeah. other attributes. True. So I, I, I counsel people not to get too scientific, to get too anal, if you like, about picking the right five or six. I mean, that we, we should really try and get them right, but yeah. not to be too concerned if they're not 100%, because this, 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 this is actually going down a path, a journey, if you like, of improving the culture. And... Um, this huge spillover and we want to get people the process is just as important as the content I guess is another way to put it
0: mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm assuming that when you identify these key cultural attributes that you're not doing that in the wider organisation, it's, it's, a, it's a select uh, few people within the firm who are um, have got a very good idea about the direction that the firm is heading, those would be the people that would uh, be sort of uh, scribing these key cultural attributes Steve?
1: I think the it's the senior people who need yeah. to make the final decision. There's no question about that. But having said that, we've worked with some firms where um, they've invited all staff wow. to contribute.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we, for example, got a key cultural attributes tool where we list about 40 typical attributes yeah. and we get people to um, allocate 100 points across as many attributes as they think is appropriate.
2: It'd be like herding
0: cats, wouldn't it? It'd be a difficult task.
1: Well, um, we use this tool and it's a really useful starting point to yeah. see what sort of disparity there is across people
2: yeah.
1: um, but also as a re- really useful starting point to, to start the discussion. Mm. And again, if, if we want to get... And I think we need to get maximum involvement in this whole culture change process so I think it's useful in the right circumstance to get staff involved in this from, from the get-go. Which is
0: number five, your, your tip, which is get your people involved in analysing the current culture and identifying practical, realistic things that can be done to improve areas of concern. So it makes sense that if you, get, if, if you want your, your culture to, a good culture to grab traction with all people within your organisation, then you, you have to get buy-in, don't you?
1: You see, I think there is a trap that leaders can fall into mm. in thinking that they are solely responsible for the prevailing culture within a firm. Yeah. Now, I don't disagree that senior leaders are very much responsible for the culture. Mm. By and large, they set and sustain the culture. Mm. But I also think it's a cop-out for staff to point at leaders and think and say sometimes yeah. if only they think get things right.
0: Which happens a lot doesn't it? You know, well,
1: the yeah, fabric, I think it does. A... I think it does, and I think that's an easy and a cop-out position. So I think to a degree there needs to be shared responsibility yeah. for the culture within a firm.
0: I, I sort of have some major issues with that metaphor or that saying that you know a, a fish rots from the head because it doesn't always rot from the head.
1: Well, you know, I think many of us have experienced firms where, there's been a person at the top or, or even a middle manager mm. who's really been trying hard, yeah. but, but they've got a bad culture. Why? Because of the staff. Yeah. And the reverse can happen as well. We can have an ordinary leader who's got a good culture. Why? Yeah, because true. of the staff. Yeah. And I think staff need to, be, to wake up to this fact as well. So this step five, or tip number five, is... Um, Once we've done a stock take, once we've got a feel for the current culture within the organisation, we ought to get staff involved Mm -hmm. in having a look at the results and saying, well, um, you you guys help us identify areas of concern. You guys help us to create and identify Mm -hmm. practical, realistic things that can be done to address those areas of concern. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because let's face it, uh, sometimes it's going to be the manager who's got to take charge of this, but sometimes... Um, we can all do something about improving an aspect of the culture that needs to to improve.
0: Yeah, yeah. Number six is uh, sort of follows, follows on, which is get your people involved in identifying the kinds of UGRs that would need to be in place for the key cultural attributes to be realised. Um, so, again, consultation.
1: Well, yeah, again, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I, did, I mentioned before, I think the process is almost as important as the content of this... Yeah. And um, we, need, we need staff – or no, let me say I think there's huge value in getting staff to articulate the kinds of positive UTRs that they would like to characterise the firm by into the future. Mm-hmm. Now, this shouldn't be open slather. Mm-hmm. This should be within the framework of the key cultural attributes. Mm-hmm. So if I go back to my example, if initiative had been identified as a key cultural attribute mm-hmm. – um, we get um, staff to say, well, okay, what are some positive UTRs, some positive unwritten ground rules that would demonstrate that initiative was alive and well in this firm? Yeah. And we get people to complete the sentence, a sentence around here and to say it as though it already exists. And um, that's, we've done this with many firms, and that's such, it, it, sound, it almost sounds a bit corny, mm-hmm. but it's actually getting people to talk about the kind of culture that they would like in the firm. Mm. That's a conversation that typically the vast majority of staff never get the chance to contribute to.
0: And and how do they contribute, Steve, uh, you know, with, with uh, your, your UGR process? Are they contributing uh, anonymously, when I say anonymously, without the partners of the firm knowing, or is it a sort of like a, a, an all-in? How, how do you do this?
1: Um, when it comes to a UGR stock take on inventory, that needs to be anonymous. Yeah. So, um, for example, if the firm's big enough, we'll have an online um, web page and people can do it anonymously yeah. online. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you can do a manual version of it where it might be on pieces of paper, but yeah. again, that's got to be anonymous. Yeah, okay. So for the UGR stock take to get real responses, yeah. it must be anonymous. Yeah. When it gets to this point though, we've already analysed the results and now we're getting people to identify the kinds of positive UGRs that they would like. Yeah. That, that's done in a workshop facilitated mm. session. Yes. And it, it's just such... I, I don't know if I'm conveying how rich the conversation can be.
2: Mm. When you're getting oh, trans-
1: staff looking at each other in the eye and talking about, well, yeah, you, you mean that, but let, how can we better frame this? What, yeah. what do we really want here? Um, it's, it's the kind of conversations that people typically don't have, mm.
0: Steve, I reckon your number seven is a killer because I think this is where it's at and this is where, where a lot of this stuff falls down. And your number seven is never give up, give up on working towards your key cultural attributes. Fight for them. I, I've seen so many organisations that uh, will get consultants in. They'll do some hard yards over a few weeks and then find that, it's, uh, that the work's not over yet and then they just let it subside.
1: And as a consequence of that sort of thing, mm. there is a UTR that often pervades organisations, and mm. it's around here. Hold your breath for long enough, yeah. and the moves for change will fade away. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Now,
1: in many cases, that UTR is well justified. Yeah. Because that's what's happened. Mm. Mm. So, for there to be any genuine change, people need to get the fact that this is not going to go away. Mm. Mm. And, you know, right. again, I go back to value statements. Now, there might be people who are listening here um, from firms that have value statements that are alive and well. Mm. And that's great. You've done well if that's the case. Because I'd argue that the vast majority of cases, that doesn't happen. Yeah. That value statements are written with good intention, placed on the walls, and then forgotten about. Mm. And people in their day-to-day work don't connect with them and never will. Mm. So when it comes to genuine culture change... I think we really need to dig the talons in for mm. the key cultural attributes and demonstrate to people that this is not going to go away.
0: so how do you do that practically so a managing partner has uh, has bought into the, uh, the whole notion of the UGRS and is doing some great work uh, around them what you know, how does this manifest are we talking about you know um, uh, frequent conversations about uh, culture uh, are, we, are we doing lots of measurement um, you know post, the initial workshop and that type of thing. How how does it happen?
1: Well, um, we argue that um, there's two things that are non-negotiable that must happen Mm. within a firm for this to grab a hold. One is that the positive UTRs, again linked to the key cultural attributes, Mm. need to be visible for people to see. So this needs to be visible. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Mm. The second non-negotiable thing is that there should be a standing agenda item at meetings, Mm where whoever you are in the business, whoever you are in the firm, you go to a meeting at least once every two or three weeks where there's a standing agenda item, mm-hmm. which is talking about our positive UGRs or our key cultural attributes. Mm-hmm. So we've got to sustain conversation about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, in my, as I get older, my eyes are getting worse. Mm-hmm. And so I went to, uh, at the weekend to uh, Specsavers, and uh, was quite impressed by their focus on customer service. And the optometrist there, um, when he learned about what I did, was quite interested. And he said, we use a terrific tool. It's an online tool which gives us um, customer feedback every day. Mm -hmm. And I learned that daily, before they open the store, the teams within the stores look very quickly at the results from the customer feedback from the day prior Mm -hmm. and talk about what they're going to do to improve... On areas from the feedback they got in the day prior. Yeah, tremendous. Now, if, if, I, if I'm employed at Specsavers, mm. um, there is a UGR which says around here customer service is number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're in a reminded
0: sense, of that every day, aren't you?
1: Every day. Yeah. So, in a sense, we've got to apply the same mm. to the culture within a firm. Mm. Um, but people usually deduce correctly what's important and what's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I know Vern Harnish um, does a lot of work uh, with strategy, and um, he talks often about the importance of having a daily meeting or a daily huddle, or I think he calls them, where you know the whole team or individual teams come together and uh, they identify these key levers of what they need to do today to to, to, to you know do extraordinary customer service, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to provide um, uh, clients with a, a meaningful service. Yeah, so important. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, number eight is work with your leaders to help them to keep others accountable. Tackle situations quickly, directly, and decisively where people are working against the desired culture. So this is sort of like um, uh, keeping check, isn't
1: it? You know... um I've worked with many organisational types Mm. and uh, one organisation I worked with a little while back was a uh, funeral company Mm. and they took on UGRs and culture change very seriously and uh, there was a a woman who headed up the company who was terrific. She was dynamic, positive, intelligent. Her name's Doris. And I said to Doris one day, I said, what have you learned from our work on UGRs? And what she said for me was quite profound. She said, Steve, I've learned that UGRs is... Um, I've learned that leadership is in large part what people don't do. And I said, I don't get what you mean. She said, Let me put it this way. She said, I'm a stickler for tidiness, and when I visit our funeral homes, if I'm walking with one of my staff outside in the car park, walking past the garden bed, and I look at the weeds in the garden bed and I do nothing, what's the UGR? And the UGR is around here. Tidiness is other people's responsibility. So this is not confined to weeds in a garden bed. And when I'm working with leaders in firms, I say, um, what, is it, what is it that you let go? Mm. What is it that you don't attend to? And I bet it's the hard stuff. Mm. So, when you, if, if there's, so, so consequently, I say, if there's stuff happening in your firm that you don't like or that you disapprove of and you do nothing, mm. then what's the UGR? Mm. It's that that behavior is okay. So I think leaders need to help each other and others stay accountable. Mm, mm. And I think we need to tackle the tough stuff um, when it works against the desired culture. Yeah. Now, yeah. that requires some tough conversations. Mm, mm. But having said that, I think people res- are respected more for tackling the tough conversations.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I, this is not easy. Mm. Um, but the fundamental question is, is it worth fighting for?
0: Steve, do you find that uh, with your work uh, with organisations that um, there is a reluctance to tuck into this type of work? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sort of thinking that, uh, you know, um, when you first meet with a firm, there must be uh, uh, an initial enthusiasm, but then a a sort of waning of interest at times because they know that it it is really, uh, you know, roll up the sleeves and let's get into it.
1: I think that's why I come back to one of the um, one of my first few tips and that is leaders need to get that culture is fundamentally impacting on performance Yeah. because if this is done, if, if our quest for cultural improvement is done simply to make people happier, it has no hard edge, there's no real imperative behind this. So I think what we've got to do is constantly remind ourselves of the fundamental impact Of culture on performance Mm. and if that's the case we're we're fighting for an improved culture with a view to improve performance of the firm Mm. however you define performance yeah Yeah. Um, but but having said all of that there's no denying the fact that this can be very confronting Mm. and um, so yeah it's 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 a tough thing to tackle Um, but like I said it's it's the question of is it worth fighting for yeah
0: And look, when you look at the extraordinary firms or organisations, they've got such robust uh, and strong cultures.
1: Well, I don't know if you've come across Zappos, Oh, absolutely, I have. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, for the listeners who don't know Zappos, I mean, think about about the dumbest business model you could ever create, and that is, uh, you'd have to come up with selling shoes on the internet. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not going to work, is it? Well... Take a look at Zappos, and what they've done is focus exclusively on their culture and customer service. And Two it, things they focus on. In fact, in fact, if a staff member in their first month with Zappos, hmm. after exhaustive interview schedules and all this sort of stuff, if in their first month they decide, Zappos will pay them, hmm. I discovered this the other day, Dan, it's $2,000 to leave <laughs> in the first month. And if, if it's not right if it's not right for the person or for Zappos, not right you know, if it's not right either way, person gets two thousand dollars off they go. Now that's wow. culture fit, that's focusing on culture.
0: What a great incentive. And I think I think the tagline for uh, Zappos is uh, Zappos is uh, to um, to deliver happiness. So it's uh, Yeah, yeah, amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. Steve, uh, lead from the front. Acknowledge your struggles and encourage others to share theirs is your ninth tip, um, which embodies, I suppose, really what we've just been talking about. Uh, It's it's got to to be led uh, from the helm.
1: Well, yeah, but there's two parts to this tip, isn't there? I mean, I think it's got to be led from the top. Um, Senior people have got to lead this. There's no question about this. By the way, staff invariably want this. Mm, mm. Invariably. Mm. And I I have seen, I've I've experienced this on many occasions, such despondency of staff after this has been embarked upon but leaders don't actually lead from the front. They revert back to their old behaviours and that just leads to such despondency. So staff are often yearning for this stuff. But the second part to this tip I think is maybe even more important and that is to acknowledge your own struggles. I think there's a risk for leaders um, to be seen as um, impeccable leaders without faults mm. but I think again we gain credibility and gain trust mm. in, it, in, in sharing the difficulties that we face yeah. so I think leaders have got to lead from the front but we also have got to demonstrate we're human and to acknowledge our struggles and I think if leaders model that approach then that's encouraging others to, to do the same mm. Mm. and um, we, we want that we want people to be able to own up when they're struggling and we want people to help others when they see them struggling. So I think that's maybe that's a cultural attribute as well, Dan. I don't know. But um, I think it's an important one.
0: Yeah. Well, successful cultures depend upon it, don't they? There's got to be some sort of transparency. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Steve, uh, celebrating success on a Haddock basis is your tenth tip. And, and, and here you really challenge that whole. Um, uh, methodology, I suppose, of employee of the month uh, that that many sort of uh, firms uh, utilise. You know, this sort of rudimentary way of acknowledging somebody uh, only because it's that time of month and we've got to try <laughs> and find somebody and quick. You know, who's it going to be this month?
1: Look, it, I'd I'd strongly encourage the employee of the month to be dumped. <laughs> um, I it's and look, unless it's a very very big firm. Yeah. Um, you're going to run out of um, of uh, adequate recipients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, you know, and then there's the UGR. Mm-hmm. The UGRs are created around Employee of the Month. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, my tip here is to celebrate successes on an ad hoc basis.
2: Yeah. And
1: one one firm we worked with a long while back. We we. Um, we got a recognition program for the Quiet Achievers and we, we said let's recognise people who typically aren't recognised but just basically do their work do it really well do it quietly aren't, aren't, wouldn't typically be your Employee of the Month nominee and let's let's recognise some of those people and I can, I can distinctly remember there was a presentation night um, following that day and the joy the absolute joy that people got in the right people being recognised was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. It it just, it it was a standout evening for me. So done well, I think this can make such a difference.
0: Steve, is it your experience that sometimes the insights from the quiet achievers when you're trying to define or distill those key cultural attributes um, uh, are sort of so potent and powerful from these people? You know, because often they don't have a voice in the organisation at times or people don't ask them what they think and when they actually let rip at times, it can be quite, you know, uh, uh, quite a sort of uh, an extraordinary response.
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because often the people who talk most at meetings are those that are least listened to. Mm -hmm. And you get, you know, one person will say occupy a very short amount of time at a meeting who gets most listened to. So maybe there's a bit of that. But I guess my point here is that in, in, in the day-to-day grind of our day-to-day work, yeah. almost by definition, we are moving from one problem to the next. Yeah. And it's a constant, evolving, problem-resolution process that we're going through in our day-to-day work. Yeah. Now, the risk of that is that we forget our successes. We forget the positive things that are happening, and I think we need to systematise, if you like, ad hoc celebrations. Yeah. If that's not a contradiction, um, we, we need we need to we need to work towards making the cu- culture positive. Mm. We need to work towards celebrating successes because that doesn't happen by it doesn't happen naturally. Mm. Mm. And we ought to be very strategic about the way we celebrate successes and what they get recognised for. They're not being recognised because it's now is the day for the employee of the month. They're getting recognised for, real, for doing genuine good work mm. and for genuinely contributing towards the culture that we're trying to fight towards. Mm-hmm.
0: No, great stuff. Steve, that, ah, that's your 10 tips. Tremendous, um, fantastic content there for people. Uh, now, to find out more about UGRs, where should people go?
1: Uh, there is UGR's website, which is ugrs.net, and there is a lot of information there for people to use freely.
0: Yeah, and I'll put the um, the URL uh, and all the other details of how people can find you in the show notes, Steve. Uh, but thanks very much. That is, um, you know, it, it's it's so vitally important, this whole notion of culture, and in, in my experience, um, not many people do it, and if they do it, they tend to not do it well.
1: And I think that's partly because of the complexity of the notion. I think yeah. that's where the power of UGRs can play a part because it's such a simple concept which people get yeah. and it just makes it accessible, I think.
0: Well, again, I've seen your UGRs work uh, and um, they do work because you've simplified such a uh, you know I mean, people write thousand-word books on culture uh, <laughs> and, and you've, you've really debunked that by, by having this great UGR tool that um, is brilliant. Steve thank you Dan thanks for joining me
1: Uh, pleasure Dan nice to chat with you